Hey, Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. Oh, so exciting to be here. I feel like uh, this morning, you know, because we're, we're all first-time guests to this room, you know, if like uh, we just moved in a week ago, and now we're hosting a Christmas party for everyone we know, you know, so if things are a little disorienting, they are to us as well. Uh, my name's Spence. I'm one of the pastors here at Mercy Church, and um, man, I love uh, Christmas. I feel like, I don't know if you are like me, it has kind of snuck up on me and my family. Uh, so, you know, yesterday I was out uh, Christmas shopping and I bumped into every other procrastinator in Charlotte, right? As we're, uh, we're out there. But um, I also had some fun um, reading up on Christmas this year. And there was a, a trend that I saw, an article I read about um, spending trends uh, for us this year. And this year um, in America, in the United States, it's the first year um, that the, the shoppers, consumers in the United States, will spend over $1 trillion on Christmas. All right, now, I want to share with you a couple of trends inside of that that are um, pretty entertaining and maybe revealing. See where you um, fit in this. Out of that $1 trillion, over $5 million will be spent on pet accessories this Christmas. So your dog's not the only one with that sweater. Um, there's another one I saw that said there will be um, uh, the average consumer, as they're out buying Christmas presents for others, will spend around $100 on themselves while they're shopping for other people. So that's, um, and then there's one that said uh, 21% of consumers will do all their shopping, all of it, exclusively with their mobile device. So that's just, I just click, 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 and I'm done, right? And my favorite one, because it is the most real and honest out of all of them, 45% of holiday shoppers will do a substantial portion of their gift buying at the grocery store this Christmas. So if that is you, and you are last minute like, like me, we're within 100 yards of a food line, okay? So after we leave here, you can just, we've already met them, great folks over there. Um, you know, look, I know I fall on that list in a couple of places. Um, my family loves Christmas. We got our own um, plenty of Christmas traditions, and maybe you have them too. Anybody have those traditions that you grew up around, and they weren't weird when you were growing up, but then you grew up and you got to know some other people and realize, oh, nobody else does that. That's weird, right? Like, I have one of those that um, we grew up watching. Watching, uh, claymation Christmas on Christmas Eve. Not the one that everybody knows that has like um, the elf that wants to be a dentist and it has the abominable snowman and Rudolph and this, not that one. We watched Will Vinton's 1987 claymation Christmas that's emceed by two clay dinosaurs, okay? And Quasimodo shows up leading Carol of the Bells. Joe Camel sings a song. There's a late 80s, early 90s reference. The California Raisins do the closing number. It's, so I grew up with this, right? But then um, Courtney, my wife, when we're engaged, she comes and she experiences Christmas Eve and she's like, what is this weird thing y'all got going as a family? And in her kindness, she has let me make this a part of uh, my kids' Christmas Eve tradition. So even further removed from all the references, they're going to grow up and be the weird ones. I know it's going to happen. Um, but y'all, those, even the weird silly traditions, uh, they bring a certain level of comfort, right? I mean, yours, whatever they are, they bring a level of comfort to us. That's why we spend so much money on them and on Christmas. That's why we're so committed to those traditions. They're familiar. They connect us to this season. And they're something that we just start to hold really near and dear. I mean, who knows? For some of you, maybe coming to church is a part of your tradition. Whatever those are, they give you this little short burst of peace and, and joy and comfort um, in this season. 
but not sustaining joy, right? Just kind of a moment of it. Like, I don't expect my kids to hit a rough patch in their mid-20s and go, it's okay. Because when we get to Christmas Eve, we got those two dinosaurs there to comfort our souls when things get hard and, and fill us back up with joy. No, right? Of course not. Of course not. These are, are small momentary comforts that we experience around this time. I mean, they don't last. I mean, how many of you are really deeply attached to your iPhone 4 you got a few Christmases ago, right? No, stuff doesn't last. And time, it changes circumstances as well. Some of you, I know, you're coming in here this morning, you're having a hard Christmas. I know you are. Because somebody is missing who was a part of those traditions. Or maybe you've moved here to Charlotte from somewhere else and so things have, have changed and the absence of someone makes what was once comforting actually pretty challenging or, or hard this Christmas. See, today to celebrate Christmas, we're going to talk about peace and joy. But we're going to talk about the source of peace and joy. Things, traditions, they can't be the source of peace and joy for us. They'll just never be big enough. They'll never last long enough. Uh, there was a pastor back in the 1700s named Jonathan Edwards. He said the way to think about those things, those blessings, like even the good things, is to think about them like, um, he said, think about the sun. He said, when you um, stand out in the sunlight, I noticed all of our parking team was standing like in the sunlight this morning because how cold it was out there. Like that's a ray of the sun that gives you a momentary burst of, of warmth right? Just for, for a minute. And Jonathan Edwards said, but you trace the ray back up and you get the source of that warmth, the sun itself. He said, the blessings, the temporary things that give you joy and peace here in this world, they're like rays from the sun. And they're designed to point you back to the source of that joy, which is God's love for us and God himself. Now, listen, if you're new to mercy, we've been spending this Christmas season walking through the book of Philippians in the New Testament. So we're going to be this morning. If you brought a Bible, I'd tell you to turn over. I'm going to tell you to turn over to chapter four. That's where we're going to be. Because uh, in this letter here in Philippians, you got this guy, Paul. He's writing from prison. He has just had a pretty tough go of it. He's in prison unfairly. He's had a lot of hard circumstances. Yet, and the reason why we're walking through this over Christmas is he, as he writes, is brimming with joy, with joy. And it's because he's figured out the secret to having joy, joy that is stronger than any circumstance or anything that will come or go. And that secret is the key to Christmas. Paul wasn't just giving, look, he wasn't just giving this church like an abstract idea. No, he was, he was relaying the thing that had carried him through some really hard circumstances. In fact, verse 12 and 13 of chapter 4, uh, we're going to look at this for a second to set us up to go earlier into the chapter. Here's what he says. He says, look, I know how to make do with a little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. You've been around church before. Maybe that verse is familiar to you. In verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What he's summarizing is the secret of having joy in times of abundance and in times of need. And look, we often think of, uh, man, I, I need joy to get me through when we're in times of need. But let's be real. It seems like people who have a lot of stuff also have a lot of stress. Right? We see that all the time. Just having stuff doesn't set you at peace. In fact, the 20th century American philosopher, Christopher George Wallace, he summarized this reality better than anybody. Now, some of y'all know who I'm talking about. 
that he goes by another name, Notorious B.I.G., right? And what did he say? He said, no, no, having stuff creates problems. In fact, more money, more problems. Yes! Way to go, everybody. Great group effort right there. Wasn't expecting it. Y'all are the better service. So it's on the recording if it is, whatever. Um, look, Paul, Paul says it here, right? He knew abundance created stress and anxiety just like need does. He said there's only one thing that can carry you through all of that. And his summary is verse 13. His summary is Christ. It's the summary of every single Christian in this room. What fuels my life? Well, in a word, it's Christ. And y'all, that's what I want you to leave here with today. When you leave this room today in a word, y'all, I want you to have Christ. I want you to have the strength of Christ to carry you through whatever's coming at you when you leave here. But listen, a few verses earlier, he explains this secret and how it works in your life and mine. So we're going to start in verse 4. And here's what he says in verse 4. And we're only going to go to verse 7 today. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Paul says rejoice. And he says this. In the Lord, which honestly, if we're, if we're candid with each other, can feel a little, I don't really know how to do that. A little bit abstract. What does in the Lord mean? But if I substitute anything else for in the Lord, it will start to make sense really quick. Right? If I say rejoice in the new job, it makes sense. If I say rejoice in the fact that she's actually into you. Right? That makes, makes sense that, that you made the team. It starts to make sense. But listen, the word always, rejoice in the Lord always can only go, the word always can only go with the Lord. Paul's saying nothing else can provide constant, unshakable joy for you. See, the secret to joy is all about what you place it in. You got to understand that. The secret to joy is all about what you place it in. Um, my oldest son is 10 years old, Zeke. When he was three or four, I'm not exactly sure, can't remember. Anyways, we got him a little toy nativity set here at Christmas, the first one that we got. You know, and we put it out because we wanted to teach him the story of Christmas, right? At the time, he was super into, there was a movie out called Cars, all right, Pixar movie Cars. So Doc Hudson, Lightning McQueen, the two main characters, he carried those things everywhere, them little, little cars, right? Carried them everywhere with him. And so we said, we're going to give him a little nativity set to teach him about Jesus. And so we sat him down, showed him the set. We're like, buddy, this, this represents Jesus, this little baby. He is God come down in human form to rescue the world and save us from our sins, right? He's now God with us, and he died on the cross for us. And so at Christmas, we worship this, this God, Jesus, our Savior and our King. And yeah, you know, I mean, he's three or four, but we're just trying as parents, right? And so then about only about two days later, we discovered a pretty alarming and disturbing crime scene at this nativity set that we had given him, okay? Little baby Jesus had been kicked out of the manger. And there in between Mary and Joseph and that sacred spot reserved for Jesus was Doc Hudson. Yep. There he is, even guarded like a VIP by one of the wise men that he put in front, right? Like no access for Jesus. No, I'm sorry. That's not, that's not going to work, right? I love, and so naturally I took a picture of it, right? I was like, this is such, I love this moment because this four-year-old did in a very obvious way what we all do, right? He put something else in the manger because that was the thing that he was rejoicing in, the thing that he loved the most, And we do it all the time. We put something else in the manger and we rejoice in it. 
And the problem is nothing else is strong enough to keep up with our constant need for joy. Rejoice in a test score that you get. Well, it's great, but another one's going to come. Rejoice that she's into you. Well, listen, she's got problems. And one day you're going to experience those. Right? There's only one thing you can... Y'all laughing like y'all know what I'm talking about. I like... This is a good day. It's a good day. Um, look, there's only, only one thing that you can rejoice in. Because look, when I say this word, rejoice, it's joy being activated in your heart and then expressing itself in, in celebration. And there's only one thing you can always rejoice in, and that's the Lord. So a, a lighthearted way maybe to ask you a very important question is what's your Doc Hudson, right? What's that thing that you've been putting in the manger? You will never have real peace and joy until you get Doc out of the manger. And verse five, having set us up, then clues us in on what it, what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Here's what he says. Verse five, let your graciousness, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your graciousness be made known to everyone. In this little line, the Lord is near. Let your graciousness be made known to everyone. See, people who rejoice in the Lord, who find their joy there, uh, they're not prone to being proud. I mean, we're all sinful, and so we have these moments, but they're not proud. They're not arrogant. They're not thrill seekers. They're not pleasure seekers. No, they're gracious to everyone. Why? Because when Paul says rejoice in the Lord, he's not saying rejoice in something that you have earned your ability to rejoice in. He's saying your rejoicing is going to be in a gift given to you. Y'all, that's the mystery and wonder of Christmas, right? Matthew chapter one is kind of recounting this moment where the angel shows up. Angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son. You're to name him Jesus because he's going to save people from their sins. The announcement of good news of great joy is now starting to be made clear, right? The announcement that it's not going to be about anything you do, but about what one does for you. And then verse 22, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. So looking back to Isaiah, verse 23, see the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God's with us. This message of Christmas, this is what sets Christianity apart from all other major religions. It's that God, it's a little bit scandalous. God, the one true God, the God so powerful, he created the universe with his words, the God outside of time, the God who knows how many hairs are on your head, who knows every thought that you think. That God became Emmanuel. He came to be with us. That's who Jesus is, the God of the universe who has come to be with us. We didn't deserve him, but he came on a rescue mission because he loves you and he wants you. And that love was so powerful that it would make a way to usher in forgiveness for all, for all who desired it. The gift, y'all, it's more precious, more valuable. It's greater than just his presence for 33 years in human form on the earth. The gift is something we desperately need. It's forgiveness from our sin and reconciliation to the God we sinned against. Y'all, Christmas only makes sense if Good Friday and Easter Sunday are on the near horizon as we look at it. On Good Friday, Jesus, God in human form, went up on a cross to pay for your sin and mine. 
The gift is that he took our place so we don't have to pay for our sin when we should. And then the Bible tells us he got out of the grave, which is where power, unlike anything else in the universe, now becomes available to us who believe this gospel message. And the rest of the Bible tells us the people who believe this are new creations. The old person is dead. We align ourselves with Christ. He died for my sins. So metaphorically, my old life is now dead in the grave. And then we are new creations because Christ got out of the grave. And the Bible tells us God himself, his spirit now resides in every Christ follower. That's why, well, I'm gonna show you this verse again. Paul says, the Lord is near. Not that the Lord, he's writing 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul didn't say the Lord was near. He said, no, no, for every Christian now, still the Lord is near. That's a promise for you to leave here with today. Because Jesus said when he left, he'd send the spirit to live inside of each one of us who are followers of Christ. God is still Emmanuel. He is still with us. And so Christians, if God is with us, that means his power is with us too. Think about that. His power, old temptations, God has the power to break them and that power is with you old escape patterns that used to have this almost like magnetic pull to you when things got hard, just go back to them. The power of God to break them is with you. Old hurts that used to send you spiraling, the power of God can heal you from them because his power is stronger than anything else. We talked about last week how the, um, if you were here, how the presence of God with us creates a joy that acts like a spiritual buoyancy in the Christian life. Just like anyone else, Christians get knocked down by life sometimes, but the joy of the Lord given to us by the spirit of God in us, it floats us. It pulls us back up when life knocks us under the water. Uh, and I've told you, I'm experiencing this very personally in 2018. I lost my grandfather, who was one of the, the biggest influences on my life earlier this year. And my father-in-law passed away very unexpectedly a couple of months ago. My, my family just feels like we're in the midst of pain. Feels like we've been knocked underwater. And I know some of you are there with me. You got some really deep hurt. Maybe it's from your own doing. Maybe it's something that's happened to you. Either way, you can sink or you can allow the strength of the Lord, the joy of the Lord to float you. Listen, you'll know if you're sinking because you'll walk around in bitterness and anger and despair, but you don't have to settle for that. And you don't have to get strong enough to be able to pull yourself out of that. You need to hear the promise of Christmas. God is near, Emmanuel, he is with us. And he came to be with us because he loves you and he still wants you. Listen, the more experiences you have where you choose Christ in those hard moments, the more sustaining your joy will be. I'm telling you, that's the story of, of my life. I came to Christ 20 years ago, but man, I've experienced so much of that recently because he promises his mercies are new every morning. And y'all, I'm certainly a mess just like you. And what I'm trying to do is throw myself on the mercy of God and his grace. He's starting to float me once again. 
And listen, right after this, uh, right after he says the Lord is near, he gives us a very, very practical example for us to all relate to. This is verse six, watch this. Now the Lord is near, so verse six, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, that, that way he starts that sentence, don't worry about anything, don't you love this? I got anybody else in the room who loves to worry about stuff like I do. Um, another way to translate that is don't be anxious about anything. I struggle with that for, for real. I have for years. Um, I'm always worst case scenarioing whatever the situation is. Anybody else is like that? Like, I know, uh, I don't know if I'm a hypochondriac or not, like officially diagnosed because I'm, I'm too worried about what the counselor will say if I go and ask about it. So that way, it's the reason like I don't know. Um, what's, the, what's the worst thing you can do to someone who struggles with worry? It's to tell them not to worry. Because now I'm worried about whether or not I'm worrying about the other things, right? So you just piled on to me. So Paul says, no, no, you can't just not worry. You got to put your worry somewhere. You can't just rejoice aimlessly. That's the problem with this old saying, don't worry, be happy. The problem with don't worry, be happy is you need to be happy about something for the happiness to outweigh the worry. So the, the mental energy, the emotional energy you're about to spend on worrying, instead, Paul says, right there, present your request to God. Every instinct you have to worry in that same breath, he says, pray. But very important, he tells you how to pray. He says, with thanksgiving. See, here's what happens. This is, this is the beauty of Christmas. The Christian in that moment of worry is already thankful for Emmanuel. This is where our faith gets really practical. The promise of Christmas that the Lord is near is true every moment for the Christian. So we don't come to God in a moment of worry like he's a genie that'll fix our problems. We come to him first celebrating the gospel that he has fixed our greatest problem. He's already met our greatest need. So in a moment of worry, the gospel says, hold on a second, hold on a second, soul. God has saved me. And if God saved me then, surely he didn't save me then so that he would forget about me now. And there's great hope for you there. The sovereign God of the universe is with me. He tells me he will never leave me or forsake me. So yes, I might worry. I mean, worry comes from fear of the future, right? But for the Christian, the future's certain. The future's certain. God loves me. He saved me. He is with me. One day I will be with him forever in heaven. And in the meantime, he is working for my good. Now, I may not understand him. Surely I don't understand him. But Christmas tells me the sovereign God of the universe sent his son for me. That love, the more you will just throw yourself onto that love, put the weight of your life onto that love, the more you'll experience peace and joy that can float you. And when you confront your worry with that great truth, here's what Paul says, verse seven. When you confront your worry with that great truth, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's so good. It's so deep. And we just will never be able to fully grasp it. It'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is what Christmas promises. A peace so powerful, so comforting, so intimate to each one of us 
that it just surpasses understanding, it'll guard you. Oh, isn't that comforting? That's what peace is. It, it turns into a steadiness of the soul. And where do you get this peace? You present your request with thanksgiving. How do you present it with thanksgiving? Look, I mean, that's kind of hard, right? You have, when you come to God with a prayer, you haven't received what you're praying for yet. That's why you're coming in prayer. Well, this is actually the key. It's saying, God, whatever you do in response to this request, it's good. That's, that's my trust in you, and I thank you for it. So whether it comes or not, whether it comes when I want it to or not, I thank you because I know it's for my good. See, to thank God before you get the answer is the secret to peace in a weary world. The peace of God, it creates confidence and trust in God's wise and good control of your life. Because look, life is going to feel like it attacks you sometimes. And when it does, what Paul's telling us, the promise of scripture is that the peace of God is going to guard you. And that's different than peace with God. The peace of God is a different thing. Peace with God is what God gives you through Christ. Right? The gospel says because of our sins, we are all enemies of God. We are rebels who have rejected God as our king. Right? And becoming a Christian is believing that Christ took the punishment that a rebel deserves. We come back to our king, we lay our weapons down, and we are at peace with God. He doesn't punish us. Then the peace of God becomes a frame of heart. Confidence in his goodness that is solid, that is unchanging. Confidence and stability no matter what. Y'all, this is the secret of Christmas. Maybe you come in here and you're in a time of abundance right now. Things are, are pretty good. How easy it is to worry about all that stuff that you have. Maybe you're in a time of need. How easy it is to believe that he has forgotten you. To shake your hands and say, why God? Maybe you're coming in here and you're in pain. How easy it is to just sink, right? How easy it is to sink under that. And into all that, God says, listen, look at Christmas. And if you've maybe looked before, look closer this time. Christmas is the announcement that his rescue mission is now set in motion. This is why Isaac Watts wrote the hymn, Joy to the World. It's this big announcement, the Lord has come for us. He's here to rescue us from our deepest need. Now, how do you activate this peace and, and joy in your life. Because you might be saying, Spence, I, I hear it. Like, I hear the truth that the Lord is near, but I don't feel it. Humbly, let me say, so what? So what? I mean, have you ever felt so sure you were right about something just to discover that you weren't? For me, it's driving around Charlotte, Okay. <laughs> Like, I'm like, I'll get, I'll get kind of prideful. Courtney will be beside me. And she'll be like, why don't you just pull up GPS? I'm like, no, I'm a pastor. I know my city, right? So I know everywhere to go. I don't need GPS. And it doesn't matter how right I feel about which way this road goes, right? I can feel like it's going to take me right where I want to go. Does me feeling like this is the right way make it the right way? No. In fact, I can feel right for miles as I'm going in the wrong direction. And then I'm in South Carolina. I have done this. Right? Listen, truth isn't based on our feelings. You've got a real decision to make this morning. 
Your feelings don't determine truth. And the claim of Christianity is that Christ determines truth. So what I want to challenge you to is to say, you don't feel your way into your beliefs. You believe your way into your feelings. And that's the decision you got to make this morning is are you going to let yourself believe your way into your feelings, which means you're going to need to stop listening to your emotions and you're going to need to start talking to them. All right, Psalm 42, we've gone through this um, Psalm before as a church and I love it because there's this moment where the psalmist lets us in on everything going on in his own turmoil. And he says, why is my soul cast down? Oh, my soul, why are you cast down? I will say to my soul, like he's letting us see as he's talking to us, he said, I will say to my soul, hope in God. I'm going to stop listening to my soul. And instead, I'm going to start talking to my soul and say, hope in God, for I know that I will worship him again one day. That's what Christmas is doing, friends. It's putting the peace and joy of God back in front of you and saying, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord today. And some of you may need to rejoice and believe your way into your feelings. If you feel like the Lord is far away, the truth is that he's not. He's still Emmanuel. And he is very much near. So here's where we sit. Two questions for you. Do you believe Christmas is what the Bible says that it is? Now listen, the second question I have for you is one we ask a lot around here because we're in the Bible Belt. And frankly, in the Bible Belt, we can get just enough Christian tradition to become inoculated to its real meaning. So do you believe Christmas is what the Bible says that it is? And the second question is, do you really? Do you really? The gospel of Christmas, the gospel of good news, of great joy, it promises you more than you could ever imagine. Peace beyond understanding, joy that even the deepest of hurts cannot sink, eternal security, purpose, and direction in life. But it will also cost you more than you thought. It requires you surrendering the things you were rejoicing in. It requires you taking them out of the manger. These things you find value in, it's saying, I'm going to yield control of my life to the one who gave his life for me. And I'll lay it all down, and now he's in charge. That's no small step. I'm just telling you as one who did it 20 years ago, that it's worth it. That you will, you will find peace and joy today, and you will find new mercies again tomorrow. I promise you, it's worth it. Let me pray for you. I want you to bow your head and, and close your eyes. And bef actually, before I pray for you, as you're in that posture of prayer, let me offer you the chance to respond to this gospel message, the announcement, the good news of great joy for all people, for you, for me. If you've never given your life over to Christ, Never put him back on the throne, back in the manger, back on the throne where he belongs. Made him Lord of your life. You can do that today. What better way to celebrate Christmas than to finally give your life to the one who gave his life for you? You can do that a simple way. It's so simple. God is not complex and hard to figure out when it comes to salvation. 
He says, repent and believe. So there in your seat, you do business with God. You say simply, God, I repent of my sin. Like that rebel, I'm coming back home. I'm turning from the things that I used to find joy in. I know they can't sustain me. I'm turning from that. And I believe that Christ paid the penalty for my sin. I believe it. I don't care if you've been in church a long time or this is your first time ever in a church. God doesn't make it complex to come to him. He calls you like a father calls a child. Come home. And his judgment was put on Christ, so he comes and looks at you with open arms. Child. I don't care whether you're 8 or 80. Child. Come home. Repent and believe. And you say, God, I believe. Thank you for saving me. Christian, as some people are praying that, you need to take a moment, pull whatever it is you've been worshiping in out of the manger. And and in your heart and mind, you need to just put Christ back there on the throne in the manger where he belongs. You need to thank him for coming. You need to worship him. Turn away from those things that weren't going to give you joy. Because the Father's arms are still outstretched for you too. Come home. God, thank you for your love. May we walk out of here in the strength of Christ. Because we have experienced a love that brings dead things back to life that brings dead people back to life, still actively working now. I have seen you work, Father, before, and I know you're working now. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for Christmas. May our hearts peer deeper into it, be more in awe of you and worship and worship. God, we love you.